when you see that trust issue uh, raising its ugly head on the feedback report, uh, that is a scary thing. And so uh, what we find is so many other factors are, are influenced by that one factor. So trust is a, is a significant issue. And again, our formula for helping people to improve the trust is to look at those three things, relationships, expertise, and consistency, and try to get those, you know, not great, but if you just are above average on all three, uh, you're, you could be at the 80th percentile on trust. Good morning, HR. I'm Mike Coffey, and this is the podcast where I talk to business leaders about bringing people together to create value for shareholders, customers, and the community. Please follow, rate, and review Good Morning HR on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or at goodmorninghr.com. I believe that after time, the trust of others is each of our most precious commodity. It is difficult to earn and so easy to lose. According to the Edelman Trust Index, business writ large is the most trusted institution globally, more than governments, nonprofit institutions, and especially the media. Beyond that, respondents to the worldwide Edelman Trust Survey said that they trusted their own CEO more than government leaders, journalists, and even national health authorities. And I'll include a link to the, the Edelman Trust Index in the show notes. In my conference presentations about ethics, I stress that this trust brings great responsibility to business leaders. We owe it to our people, our customers, and our communities not to waste it. But as leaders, how do we earn that trust to begin with and, when necessary, regain it? Well, I'm joined today by Joe Folkman. Joe is a psychometrician and best-selling author. He was also recipient of the Association for Talent Development's 2021 Distinguished Contribution to Talent Development Award. It's a mouthful, Joe. Joe's new book, The Trifecta of Trust, The Proven Method for Building and Restoring Trust, was published earlier this month. And I'll include a link to the book in the show notes as well. Welcome to Good Morning HR, Joe. Oh, hey, Mike, it's, a, it's an honor to be here. Thank you so much. So first, tell me what the heck a psychometrician does, and then how does that relate back to the topic of trust? Well, a psychometrician is a psychologist that measures things. So we, we, we try to kind of create measurements, and I've spent my career measuring leadership and organizational effectiveness and outcomes like that. Uh, when my youngest child was in grade school, he came up to me one day and he said, Dad, what do you do? And I, I said, I'm a psychometrician. And he said, okay. And he started to walk away. I said, why are you asking? He said, he said, well, today in school, we're going to talk about what our moms and dads do. So I'm going to tell them. And I said, <laughs> good luck. <laughs> so that man. night, yeah, well, I came home from work that night. I saw him. I said, I go to school. And he said, good. Did you tell him what I do? And he said, yeah, but I could only remember the first part, the psycho. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so my my son's teacher thought I was a psycho. That that's kind of bad. <laughs> Most of my kids' uh, teachers were pretty convinced I had the same affliction. So, so then you're a so you're you're approaching 
issues from a psychologist's point of view, but but measuring it with data and trying to predict outcomes or think how does is that what the kind of the goal is? That's the goal. And uh, what I've been blessed with is a database of over 100,000 leaders where we've collected 360 assessments from across, across the globe. What that provided me with was a really good measure of trust, but also a variety of other variables and, and indices that I could look at to analyze the data and really discover from an analytic point of view what affects trust the most and what leaders can do to improve their trust. So from those 360 uh, feedback surveys, were there certain kinds of behavior or was it structural or what was it that that built trust in leaders then? Well, uh, one of the things you find is if you look at overall leadership effectiveness and trust, you find a a very strong correlation, (laughs) right? And you'd expect it. Uh, but if a leader is untrusted, uh, generally leadership effectiveness is, is down around the sixth or eighth percentile if, a, if the leader is untrusted. But if the leader increases their uh, trust, then the overall perception of overall leadership effectiveness goes up. We actually found in our analysis that a leader who had high levels of trust, that affected every leadership competency we measured. So it had a tremendous uh, impact on every competency if your trust was higher. So then is it, I mean, I guess it's a chicken and egg thing there, but is it, are the, what, what is it that makes those leaders trusted? Is it their behavior or is it, uh, what is it that, that makes us worthy of someone else's trust as leaders? That's a great question. And, um, I called this my Manhattan project. (laughs) I wasn't trying to blow up the world. But if you think about the atom, it's this small particle. And how does this create one of the most enormous impacts of anything? Uh, This small particle, if you break it. And and, uh, I was looking for the smallest behavior with the largest impact. And I discovered it was trust. Uh, trust is, I think, the atom of leadership uh, because it affects every other behavior. It impacts every other behavior. And, and what uh, I dug into the data and, and tried to understand is if you look at what correlates with trust, almost everything does. Early on in my career, I, I was really fascinated by granularity. <laughs> so I wanted to know every possible thing that would impact it. And as I got older, I started to think, you know, I, I, simple's better. <laughs> yeah. So as I dug in, I, I, I looked at kind of the 80-20 rule and, and what could you what if you what would affect trust the most? There's three behaviors. Okay. Uh, one is expertise. Um, we go to a doctor, they come out in a white coat, you know, <laughs> they, right. they give us answers. We ask them things and then we go home and tell our spouses, the doctor told me this, so I'm going to change. And, and your spouse says, I've been telling you that for years. <laughs> but the doctor tells us this and we do it because we trust expertise, right? right. Uh, the second thing is consistency. Uh, when we say things, we don't do them, that 
creators trust. So the, the more consistent we are and the more we do what we say and say what we do, that affects trust. That's the second thing. The third thing that affects trust is relationships. We trust people we like. <laughs> I mean, that, that's just, duh. <laughs> I mean, if you dislike someone, you're probably not going to trust them as much. That's not universally true because there's some people we don't like very much, but we say, yeah, I guess I, about, I better believe that. But there's a strong connection between relationships and trust. And if you think about that, you think about these, these uh, older people who were visited by this salesman and they come by every day and, 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 and by, you know, within a month, this uh, older person has given them their life's fortune <laughs> because right. they were kind to them and they build a really positive relationship. So relationships really affect trust. Those are the three. And what we found is, is if you could be at the 40 uh, or at the 60th percentile, just 10 points above average. So not great, but just 10 points above average uh, on the, all three of those, trust would be at the 80th percentile. If you were below the 40th percentile on all of those, trust would be at the 20th percentile. Oh, wow. So doing these three things really guarantees a, a, a pretty high level of trust in others. So those three levers, let me see, expertise, consistency, and relationship. Right. Uh, well, are they, you know, it's like the, you know, like you said, the Pareto rule, the, those, that, those are the 20% that'll get you that 80% improvement in, in trust. Yeah. Interesting. And I, I was fascinated to learn which one has the most influence out of those three. What, Mike, you've, you've been in this field so long and you know so much. What would your guess be? Which one has the most influence? I'd guess just because the times where I've lost it uh, have been around relationship. So my guess would be that, that not being able to build the relationship, it'd either be that or consistency probably. Because I think a lot of people trust me and I have no expertise. So it's got to be either the relationship or consistency. You know, you are so good because you're exactly right. I mean, I thought it would be consistency because I, I thought, when do you distrust people when they don't follow through, blah, blah, blah. But it's relationships. Mm -hmm. And I think that opens the door for people to say, you know, if you want trust, build relationships, get to know people, pull people in. Uh, you know, quit being such an aloof individual. Uh, but that's the number one. And number number two is consistency, and then okay. expertise is third. Isn't that interesting, though? But I mean, how many leaders do we know who couldn't, you know, who couldn't turn a wrench in their own shop necessarily, but they have, you know, they the, their people trust them. They've got that relationship with their their people, uh, and they they treat them consistently consistently and they tell them, you know, they do what they say they're going to do. And then, well, that's what we want in a president, right? That's what, we, you know, right. I don't expect a president to be an expert in every area of foreign and, and domestic affairs and everything else, but I expect right. them to, to be somebody who can develop the relationships with the right people who can give them the right information and, and be consistent with their principles. Well, and it really offers an interesting problem for a, an executive who doesn't have the expertise, right? but is asked to speak on it or, or to, to, to sort of represent that. 
And I don't know if you've noticed this, but a lot of times you get people who think they have to be the spokesperson. You know, Mm -hmm. I hold the position, therefore I have to. And it's exactly the wrong thing to do because you lose all kinds of trust and credibility when you pretend to know that you don't. You gain it when, when you say, gee, I'm not the expert here, but Ralph is or Susan is, and let's get them up here and let, let them tell you how this works. And, and, and you gain expertise by demonstrating or by, by supporting the expertise of others. It's a huge mistake to kind of take the stage or try to sort of assume you have it when you don't. Yeah, I think we all are built with a certain level of, of BS meter. And we can tell when we're, when somebody's shoveling it. And, 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 you know, it goes back, there's a, early in my career, I was, I was told by, uh, by a mentor that all things being equal, people will buy from people they, they like and trust. All things not being equal, they will still buy from people they like and trust. And, and that's really stuck with me. And, uh, and I promise I'm not a total BS artist, but at the same time, I think, you know, I like doing business as a business owner with people I like and trust, both on the customer side and on the, you know, the provider side. So yeah. uh, makes a lot of sense. Do you think humans are inherently trusting creatures or do we all, are we still too close to the savanna that we're, we're, we're really skeptical of everything new that comes our way and, and trust always has to be earned? I remember uh, when I was young, I was in school, I was just going to college and I was babysitting my sister's children and she had Marcy who's a, who was four years old and Marcy had this toy in a can and so she tried to open the can but she didn't get it open all the way, you know, it was, and so the lid was sticking down a little bit and she really wanted what was in there so she stuck her finger down in the can and, and, and then she got scared and pulled it up. And, and of course, it was cutting her finger and she was screaming, bloody murder. I came to the rescue. Now, what's interesting is to her, the solution was to pull harder. <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. because that seemed logical. Yeah. But again, the only way to get her finger out was to push it down. So I forced that finger down and, and I pulled it out, right? And, and, and then we wrapped it up and she got stitches, which even made it worse. Uh-huh. Um, now, this is a four-year-old. Do four-year-olds understand the concept of trust? I learned they did. <laughs> because mm. every time she saw me, and I didn't see her a lot, I was in school, but every time I came over to my sister's house, when she saw me, she started to cry. Oh. <laughs> and, and and so what's interesting uh, is is that I think it's that experience that teaches us, right? I think we we give people the benefit of the doubt. Now, I was just in Mexico, and and again, every time I go down there, our distributor gives me a really good lecture about what I can and cannot do, right? Right. <laughs> Don't you get out. I know you like to take walks at night. You cannot do that here, right? And 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 she gives me those because, I, you know, the rules are different there. And I remember driving with her once, and, and, and she's running red lights, and I'm I'm thinking, is this is this not illegal? And she's, oh, at night it's okay, yeah. <laughs> because if you stop at the red light, the thieves come and uh, you know 
uh, kind of attack the car. So, so we have a lot of us, are, uh, based on our culture, assume trust in others. Here's an experiment I did that I, I found was really interesting, Mike. Um, what's the effect of having one direct report not trust you? And most people say, you can't please all the people all the time, right? <laughs> I mean, there's always somebody, right? And so, right. It, it, I mean, if you have five direct reports and, and four of them trust you and one of them doesn't, you, you think to yourself as a leader, well, that's not terrible. Here's I'm getting 800, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it, and, and what happens is, is we've measured the effectiveness of trust. And if you have all five that just are, are above average on, if they minimally trust you, your effectiveness of trust is at the 63rd percentile. If you have one that doesn't trust you, your effectiveness goes down at trust to the 32nd percentile. It cuts it in half if one doesn't trust you. Now, statistically, you can't find the numbers to prove that, right? That the one could mark you so low, it would drive all the other scores down. I mean, you can't. Right. Yeah, uh, the math it, doesn't work that way, but it, it cumulatively. Well, well you okay. know what happens, right? If one doesn't trust you, what are the, and it's a little bit like when you are getting a, a, a car fixed and you look at the uh, Google ratings or something like that, and you see that one bad rating. Right. And you kind of go, ah. Oh. And, and so having one person not trust you creates doubt in the others and they start looking for what's wrong. So you've got that, that one person has outsized influence when it's a negative influence. Interesting. Yeah, it is. It's, it's really significant. And let's take a quick break. Good Morning HR is brought to you by Imperative, premium background checks with fast and friendly service. If you're an HRCI or SHRM certified professional, this episode of Good Morning HR has been pre-approved for one half hour a recertification credit. To obtain the recertification information, visit goodmorninghr.com and click on Recert Credits. Then select episode 49 and enter the keyword trust. That's T-R-U-S-T. And if you're looking for even more recertification credit, check out the webinars page at imperativeinfo.com. I have 10 hours of recorded webinars, each approved for an hour of recertification credit by both HRCI and SHRM. Three are even approved for HRCI business credit, and one qualifies for ethics credit. You can access all of these webinars for free at imperativeinfo.com. And now back to my conversation with Joe Folkman. So if I'm that leader... And I've got that that one person out of four or five who who I've just got that you know there's clearly a, a trust issue or um, well first how would I even know that you know beyond a, you know waiting for the annual 360 feedback review how would I even know that I've, I might have a trust issue with somebody on the team or with my whole team? Here's the 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 kind of the scary thing about that and that is that 45 percent of leaders. Uh, they misperceive the amount of trust that they have. They they overrate it. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's 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 forty five percent of leaders overrate their trust. And if you look at males, forty seven percent overrate their trust. And females, it's only forty. <laughs> okay, uh, but, I can but, see. I also dance better. 
uh, <laughs> you know, than I, than, than I think most other people think I, I dance. And so yeah. I, can, I can, I can understand that. Yeah. So we, we tend to think we're more trusted than we are. And, mm -hmm. you know, you, you kind of go and, and it's just, it's around half, but if you think about it, people think they're more trusted generally than they are. Right. Uh, the only way to accurately assess that I found is with 360 feedback, anonymous feedback from others where you can look at that. But, oh, my gosh, when you see that trust issue uh, raising its ugly head on the feedback report, uh, that is a scary thing. And so uh, what we find is so many other factors are, are influenced by that one factor. So trust is a, a, is a significant issue. And again, our formula for helping people to improve the trust is to look at those three things, relationships, expertise, and consistency, and try to get those, you know, not great, but if you just are above average on all three, uh, you're, you could be at the 80th percentile on trust. Well, that's interesting because like expertise, that if you've got the cognitive ability, that can be developed. Right. I can study. I can read. I can talk to experts. Consistency is probably as much a discipline as as anything else. I, I've just got to, you know, I've got to pay attention to what I promise and deliver on it and do that on an ongoing basis. But the relationship part, I can see I, I've known plenty of, of, of leaders and and just, you know, people who didn't see themselves in that light, who just had really real challenges on the relationship side. Either, you know, either they didn't value people appropriately or they were just awkward people. I mean, yeah. you know, and I'm speaking as an awkward person. I'm, I'm, you know, I can sympathize. But so how do you how do you get good at relationship? I mean, I, that would seem to be the one area that would be most challenging in developing uh, trust if you don't have it. Well, before I talk about relationships, let me challenge you on consistency a little bit. OK, please. Um I was with a, a group uh, in Denver this week of senior leaders. And, uh, you know, I, I, I asked them the question, how many of you are, you know, make promises you don't deliver on or are kind of unethical occasionally? Nobody raised their hand. <laughs> right? Right. Uh, but then I said, how many of you, when somebody walks in the office and says, are we ever going to have a layoff here? You say, oh, no. <laughs> when when somebody says how am i doing at work you say great keep it up <laughs> how many of you when when somebody comes in and says can you do this little thing for me and you say oh sure i'll do that now look here's the reality of life the person you say that to never forgets the fact you said it and you can't ever remember that you promised to do it right it is not, uh, for most people, these big unethical challenges that gets them in trouble on consistency. It's that they, we write checks we can't cash. We, we make promises we can't deliver on. We're not careful. And, and I think that, that the, <laughs> you know, just ask your spouse how inconsistent you are, right? <laughs> and it's like, am I totally, heck no. <laughs> right. I mean, so I think managers are the same way. I think I, everybody wants to be Santa Claus and we're just not Santa Claus. Okay. Uh, so let me talk about how to build relationships because I think it's such a good topic. So, Here's what we did. Um, 
we made a discovery early on in our research. Uh, if you ask people intuitively, how do you develop relationships? How do you improve relationship building? They go, just be nicer. <laughs> right? And, 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 and they say, well, how do, you, how do you get really great at building relationships? Just be really, really nice. Right? Sure. We call that linear logic, this linear development thing. And what we found in our research was this interesting uh, uh, kind of byproduct that suggested sometimes when you're good at one competency, it helps you be better at another competency, right? right. Doing one thing well sort of helps you. And, and this is similar to why athletes who are want to be great runners also swim and ride the bike. It, you know, they call it cross-training there, but it's similar to that. So, for instance, uh, we found a very strong correlation between building relationships and developing others. And, and I, I, I know that if I said, oh, Mike, can you think of a person who's been a mentor to you, been a coach to you, and, and you, you probably have many of those, right. how do you feel about that person? I love oh, them. Sure. <laughs> I right. feel them. As, uh, uh, does that affect the relationship? Absolutely. And, and, and in fact, I mean, is it better than just like chirpy conversations in the, I, uh, you know, at the water cooler? Absolutely. Helping a person develop is really meaningful. Um, another behavior is, is really looking to cooperate rather than compete. In school, we were, the, you know, the person that got the highest score won. Uh, at work, competing really hurts you. And we find a lot of managers are, you know, competing with their direct reports. They're, they're, they, they hog the time. They, they, they take credit for the accomplishments of others. These are terrible things. <laughs> right. I don't know if anybody's but ever. I think what you're saying is heresy in a lot of organizations that I've known over the years, though. It is. I've, yeah. Wow. Managers really want to pit those people against each other. And, and, and you know, they think that gets the best performance. Yeah. Well, and, and, and it, you know, it, it, it might get better performance for a while, but they hate you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, inspiring and motivating others. When we look at the data of over 100,000 leaders and we say, which skill are people better at? Drive for results or inspiring and motivating others. 72% of our people that we measured were significantly better at driving for results than they were at inspiring. And I call drive for results push, and I call inspiring pull. We are great at pushing. We know how to push, right? But do we know how to pull, how to get people excited and passionate about something? And, and the combination of those two are great. I mean, I don't think people should stop pushing, but, but try pulling. Try to get people excited about something. Try to bring energy to work and passion to work. And then the, the, the fourth one is asking for feedback. Uh, <laughs> we don't do that enough. We think it's the manager's job to give feedback and it's our job to listen. But when people, we find the correlation between effectiveness of a leader and asking for feedback is absolutely clear. 
The more you ask for feedback, the better you are as a leader. Now, I, I just found two new ones, which are simple things to do. And you're going to go, well, of course. Number one, listening. <laughs> that's, but that's hard. It is hard. But, yeah. and, 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 you know, it's like, can, can you be a better listener? You know, because we found the correlation between listening and relationship building is so strong. I, I mean, if you just listen to people, right? And being a good listener, which uh, we just wrote this Harvard Business School at, article, and we said, what what's the better metaphor for a good listener? Is it a sponge or a trampoline? Mm. <laughs> and people, a lot of people say, it's the sponge. That's what good listeners do, the, you know? <laughs> and we said, no, it's the trampoline. It, it's asking that question really deep question. It's, it, it's contributing to the conversation, not sitting there going, okay, yeah. I, I mean, you, when people really listen well, they come back and they ask you questions and they, they get you to think about an issue differently. And then you, wow, that you really listened. Uh, the second thing is recognizing people. Of course. I mean, I, I, I love that one because people say, well, you can recognize too much. And I always say, uh, okay, find me an individual who does that. <laughs> I know it's possible, <laughs> but find me somebody who just recognizes people too much. Well, you can do it, but I know you can. But most of us, I mean, you think about it at, at the end of the day, have we, have we, said thank you to people and if we recognize people and we said gee good job can we do that too much i don't think so so those are six ways and 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 so yeah relationship building i think people can do it and they can do it a lot better than they do it and building good relationships that's a rock solid way to build trust so i was wrong on consistency so that's interesting so so the consistency part is um, just goes back to that idea of, um, being even, I guess, um, paying attention to even the, the small, the small decisions and the small actions and how we behave, um, and, and being in alignment with our, our stated values and, and, and the way, you know, the way we want, want to be want to treat others and work with them and then being cautious probably about what commitments we make. Yeah. Because I know I, I personally on the consistency side, I've made commitments uh, that I didn't want to make because mm -hmm. it was easier in the moment to make that commitment. And then, <laughs> yeah, I, then that. I'm kicking, then I'm kicking myself for, for yeah. the next three months as I serve on this board or this committee that, that I'm really not passionate about. And this is really a time suck and I'm not yeah. you know the best suited person for and so paying attention to those small things. And so even though we think that's going to build, I think that's a trap we fall into, right? As leaders, we'll, we'll, we'll accept a Well, this will build relationship. Uh, in fact, I've got a rubric about, you know, how I think through what invitations I, I accept uh, to participate on a board or something uh, or projects I'll accept. And one of them, the first one is, is it a hell yeah? Is it just something I totally want to do? And there's, it's, it's, if it's a hell yeah, I'm going to find a way to do it. Uh, but then one of the next questions is, will this advance 
a relation, a significant relationship. And maybe mm-hmm. I, with, based on what you're saying, I need to reconsider that yeah. uh, because I may be saying accepting something because it's going to advance a relationship. But then if my heart's not in it or it's not, it's not something that I think I'm the best prepared for, um, then I may be hurting the relationship in the long term without realizing that. You know, I used to work with Mike. Uh, he was the IT uh, uh, CIO person. And I'd, I'd, I'd ask Mike, I'd say, Mike, I want you to do something. You know what the first words out of his mouth were? I'd love to do that. Oh. <laughs> well, I'd start to smile yeah. and I'd go, that's great. And he said, but just a minute. <laughs> Here's all the things you've asked me to do. <laughs> Here's oh, okay. my priorities. Where does this fit? <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, that, that, that process of saying, you know, I'd love to help you, <laughs> but, but then sort of kind of letting people know where your priorities are. And inevitably, I would always say to Mike, uh, yeah, don't do that. <laughs> you can't. That's, he'd always say, Which, what's more important? And you can't do that on serving on a board and stuff like that. But that was such a great technique. But uh, delivering on commitments um, – a couple of other things you can do to show consistency. One is collaborate, being more collaborative, being more cooperative, finding ways to kind of pull people in and, and, and be a better networker and that kind of thing. And another is to, to sort of try to consistently improve and raise the bar for yourself. People notice that. And I think it shows them that you're really trying hard to, to do your job and to be a better, better person. That's a tough one. That is a tough one. And I think, uh, you know, this biggest issue, though, is, is exactly what you talk about. It, it's, it's being really careful what you agree to and, and, and really trying to not take on too much for yourself. Because I, I, it's amazing how often I forget things that I'm and, and they were so important to other people and I just blew them off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, I think we're all guilty of that. And I can think of two or three things on my, uh, my to-do list that are reflect you know, are things that I should have said no to, but I've made that commitment and, and I know I need to, to follow through uh, yeah. to execute, but I need to say no next time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So we dig ourselves a hole as far as trust goes, and and we realize that trust is in the organization or with with me as a leader isn't where it needs to be with with my team. How do right. we repair that? Well, how do you how do you map out your your plan for for getting you know for repairing or you know bettering that situation? You know, this was the longest chapter in the book, <laughs> and and uh, I looked at. Um, individuals who were at the sixth percentile on trust in our uh, pre-test assessment, and then they moved to the 66th percentile. So that was a significant shift. And then I, I looked at what changed on the data. So this is, this is where I, you know, it's, I mean, I've got data, so I could, so, okay, so what did they do? And, the, the first thing that they did is balance the individual need with results. Uh, and, and that's such a, I, I mean, we're all focused on results. We all need to deliver. Uh, and I was in a meeting yesterday and 
one of my colleagues said, well, let's do the right thing. And I'm going, okay, you're, you're saying do the right thing, and yet you're doing something that's going to hurt customers. So I'm confused. Is that the right thing? That's, you're set, you should say, let's do the thing that makes us most money. <laughs> right? So this balancing uh, the needs of the individual. The second thing is to be the role model. Um, so many people who've lost trust feel like they can act differently than they expect others to act. Andrew Cuomo was a perfect example of this. Uh, you know, he acted in inappropriate ways, never fessed up to it. But, you know, we need to be role models. When we ask others to do things, I, I love this story at Disney uh, where the CEO of Disney is giving a tour and, and he's walking around and he sees some garbage and he reaches down and picks it up and throws it in the garbage can. And one of the employees saw him and the next day, every employee in Disney knows the CEO picks up the garbage too, right? And it's just, it's just, you know, doing what you expect others to do. Um, and, you know, having good judgment, I think is critical. And, and again, the, the big mistake there is oftentimes you don't have the answer, but other people do. So let other people solve a problem. Let other people contribute to that, uh, that data and, and bring them in. You will get credibility because you brought in the experts. Um, encouraging cooperation and reducing conflict. You ever been in an organization where there was conflict? I have. There's it, a reason it, I own my own business now after 25 <laughs> years, right? Yeah. Yeah, you're walking on eggshells and everybody's kind of, I, I mean, uh, what's interesting is that's the number one lowest rated item in our 360, resolves conflict. And if I talk to any manager about that, they always say, it's not my conflict. I didn't create it. And I think people need to work it out. They don't. <laughs> but in an organization where there's conflict, there's distrust. And, and, and you need to kind of, you need to talk to people. You need to say, you've got to resolve this. You've got to set the, because people won't resolve it. But when you do, this distrust just as uh, it evaporates. Uh, the, the sixth thing is communication. Uh, it's the easiest competency to improve, and uh, people don't do it. I, I remember I was uh, I got my first iPhone that had Siri, right? Sure. And so I picked up my iPhone and said, "Hey Siri," you know, yeah. And I learned that if you said tell to Siri, it would send a text message. I said, tell Laura, I love her. And, and I'm, I'm like, and Siri came back and asked a really good question. Which Laura? Oh. <laughs> there was there was eight. <laughs> and I'm yeah. like, ah, oh, no. <laughs> and yeah. I said, Laura. Laura Folkman, you know, and it said message sent. And I'm like, I am a genius. I just <laughs> sent a text message using Siri. I'm what a genius I am. And and here's the message my wife got. I love her. <laughs> <Ow>. <laughs> here's the message I got from my wife. You love who? <laughs> so communication, it's easy to do. But you think about the number of times 
you know, we didn't have the right meeting time. We didn't know this was going to happen. We didn't. I mean, just this basic fundamental communications just gets in the way of trust because and then you go, I don't trust that person anymore. And and so that's. Well, and we saw in, during the pandemic, I think communication uh, was from government leaders, from business leaders, was inconsistent, uh, often changed. I mean, I, I saw plenty of businesses who at the, at the beginning of the pandemic were like, yeah, we're going to take care of our people and we're not going to we're going to eliminate all risks and you're going to be completely safe, which wasn't a practical thing to say at any point. But then three months later, no, we got to get back to work. You got to get your ass back into the office and, and you know, uh, the devil be damned. We, you've got to do work. And yeah. and that that communication, what did you see happen to to trust during the pandemic? Do you have data around that? Yes, I do. <laughs> it's a real surprise because I thought it would go down significantly. It actually went up in the beginning of the pandemic two points. And then by the end of the pandemic, it was up even higher. So here's what happened. In the pandemic, uh, and, and be aware, we, we, we weren't measuring everybody. We, our, our volume halved. And I think we tended to get a, a better level or, or better leaders who were participating at that point. But uh, leaders tried harder. A lot of leaders really dug in. A lot of leaders took a lot more responsibility. And, and so trust did go up overall. But then when we looked at trust and the effectiveness of leaders, those leaders who were ineffective, we saw a real cratering of trust. And then we also looked at intention to leave the organization. And we saw that going up and that's led to the, the great resignation. So uh, what happens is, is that in general, the trust was higher because things worked out. I mean, what, what's fascinating about the pandemic is didn't we learn a lot? Uh, we, none of us assumed we could, we could throw everybody out of the office. I mean, in March, we sent everybody home, got them computers. And a week after we did that, I called my, my partner, Jack, and I said, you know what? We don't need an office. <laughs> And so we tried to get out of our office because right. we were paying a lot of rent. And we we're never there. And, but, but uh, you know, it was amazing. And, and we're not alone. Uh, what we found in the pandemic is people loved working from home. And in fact, that, that, that helped trust to go up. It's just because they sent, we sent people home and we trusted them to do a good job. And, and by the way, productivity went up during the pandemic. Uh, it didn't go down. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just a fascinating study. In fact, I asked one of my clients who is a city, uh, a, a large city, uh, we ask a question, how many of you want to come back to work full time in the office? A whopping 7%. <laughs> yeah. So, so it, it was interesting what happened during the pandemic. And and but I think for many people, the fact that they were working remotely, their manager supported them working remotely, that built trust. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you were you were trying to renegotiate your office lease. I sold my office building. Uh, oh my gosh! Yeah, we're yeah we're we're not going back. And so it's uh, 
you know, the, the world headquarters of my company is now a, a spare bedroom at our house. I mean, that's just that's- the reality. And I've got employees that now in two countries and uh, all over Texas and uh, because it, uh, they, that's what they want. And, yeah. uh, and their productivity wasn't damaged. They're actually more productive than they were beforehand. And I'm saving them an hour, hour and a half of commute round trip every day. So it's hard to, it's hard to argue with, uh, you know, those, and, but, you know, I said at the beginning of the pandemic, the, the organizations that had good leadership and good management were going to be fine, but the ones where their management style was management by walking around, looking over people's shoulders to see what they're doing, making sure everybody's busy and just approach it that way. They were going to be the ones who had a real challenge. Well, and, and thanks for being with me today, Joe. Oh, it's been an absolute delight for me, Mike, and congratulations on selling your office. I'm still in my office. (laughs) Well, and thank you all for listening. You can find previous episodes, show notes, and contact info for all our guests at goodmorninghr.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. And don't forget to follow us wherever you get your podcast. Rob Upchurch is our technical producer, and I'm Mike Coffey. As always, don't hesitate to reach out if I can be of service to you personally or professionally. But I did learn today to say no sometimes. I'll see you next week. And until then, be well, do good, and keep your chin up.